This is such an important thing to have your young adult children take care of and also have those conversations with them about what their preferences are because, you know, they're adults. The law will treat them as an adult, as an 18 year old. So we should do that as well in our conversations with each other. Hello, everyone. I'm Denise Gorant. Welcome to Bite Your Tongue, the podcast. Thanks for joining me for another conversation about the ins and outs of parenting adult children. Your diapering days are over. Now it's time to consider when to bite your tongue. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bite Your Tongue, the podcast. I want to take a minute before we begin today and dedicate this episode to one of our first and most avid listeners, Sarah Albright-Healy. Sarah lost her fight with cancer recently after a long battle. She never lost her sense of humor. Her son, Dan, was actually one of the young adults we interviewed for episode 10. For every single episode, Sarah commented, she shared, and she applauded our efforts. We need more Sarahs. She will be missed. Now to today's episode. We are talking once again about estate planning and money. You might think we've done a little too much on this, but I really think this is one of the most important topics, and actually it will help each of us know what our young adult children need to do now in terms of estate planning. And also, if you can, I would encourage you to have your young adult child listen to this episode. We're welcoming Sarah Morris. She's a legacy and estate planning attorney in Denver, Colorado. She specializes in wills, trusts, and philanthropy. Sarah was recommended to us from a very trusted friend, and when this friend gave Sarah a rating of a 10, I knew she was our gal. A few episodes ago, we interviewed Cameron Huddleston about estate planning. She talked about how to get our finances in order. Today, we're going to focus on what our adult kids need to do now. Most young adults don't think anything's ever going to happen to them bad, so many times they're left unprepared, as are we, their parents. Sarah's going to help us understand all the key estate planning items our kids need now as young adults. So welcome, Sarah. I know I gave you maybe a long introduction, but if there's anything more you want to add, please do. Thanks so much for the very warm introduction. It's wonderful to be here, and I'm just so honored that our mutual friend connected us. Um, the (laughs) The only thing I'd really add is my personal passion for this work that I do Um, So I come at this from the place of being a daughter and a granddaughter and a sister, but also I'm a parent myself. I have a two-year-old daughter. So in addition to the legal aspect of my work, I really spend a lot of time personally thinking about family and legacy and the kind of world we're leaving for the next generation, especially right now. And so this is really the driving force behind what I do professionally and why I just, I love advising individuals and families on the best ways to achieve that personal legacy building. Well, that's wonderful that you're so passionate about what you do. Very few people find that in their life. So I'm sure it makes you even better at what you do. So thanks. Ah, And thank thank you you for joining us. You know, I'm going to start with a story that probably all of our listeners know about. It's the story of Terry Shavo. She was 26 years old and she just passed out and had a heart attack and was left in a vegetative state. She was married with no kids, and she had no legal documents that had any end-of-life preferences. Her parents and her husband got in a long legal battle. I think it was many, many years. Um, I think she was on life support for 15 years. 
And no one thinks or imagines that that would ever happen to their adult child. And so I feel like there's some things we could get in line just in case anything happens. And you had some good thoughts on that when we spoke earlier. And I'd like to just kind of hear your thoughts on that case. And then we'll get to what kind of things um, we need to do now or encourage our adult children to do now. Absolutely. So I think, you know, in addition to simply having the documents in place, which is absolutely a key factor, um, I think it's just so important to have conversations and openness with our our loved ones about these issues and about our preferences. Um, And I just I know how challenging those conversations can be. But Part of me really thinks that, you know, if Terry and her family had those conversations, maybe the legal battles could have been avoided. You know, maybe the parties involved would have been more trusting of one another um, about what her best interests were and what she would have wanted. And, you know, another part of that case was how sometimes third parties can also get involved and meddle and take advantage for their own benefit and um, and how litigious loved ones can really wreak havoc after death, you know, because that's a really traumatic event and people who you would never expect that from, you know, can turn to that in that moment of, of pain and, and mourning. So there are really, there are certain provisions we can incorporate into estate plans to try preventing that from happening. If we know that certain individuals may have that propensity, but ultimately, in my opinion, the best protection in these situations is that openness and honesty and transparency with the people we love. That's so important. And yet so people, so many people never want to talk about the possibility of death or an accident or anything. So really, it should be addressed in a positive light. We hope this never happens, but let's take our umbrella with us anyway. Absolutely. And it goes both ways, really. I know you've talked about this in a previous episode, but I just had this wonderful call with a couple clients who have children who are starting to be in their teenage years. And they mentioned to me that they had had a conversation with their children about, you know, who they were thinking of being the guardian for the kids. And not only was that therapeutic in a lot of ways to have that openness, but also the children were able to have a conversation and, and voice their input and share a perspective that the parents told me they there were issues that they hadn't even thought of that their children were able to share with them. So I thought that was just really beautiful. Absolutely right. So, you know, just the word estate conjures up wealth. You think of Kim Kardashian and famous people living in Malibu and blah, blah, blah. Why do I need a estate plan? It's like you're rich and you're planning your estate. But why is it important for every adult, whatever their age, to have an estate plan? Yep. Well, I think this pandemic, first and foremost, has really been eye-opening in a lot of ways. I think it's shown us how unpredictable life is and how much we can take for granted sometimes. And I think we all want to make sure that the people we love are taken care of. And we've had to think a lot more about the legacy we're going to leave behind. And that's truly what estate planning is all about, more than you know your level of wealth. And so that could mean making really hard decisions up front for your family members, on medical decisions, like we talked about, how long you, you're put on life support, and on financial matters and determining what happens to your hard-earned assets, which, you know, we all work really hard, and that's something that we should be able to decide for ourselves. So it's also worth noting that every person has some sort of financial footprint, 
whether it's a combination of different types of bank accounts and brokerage accounts or student loans and school tuition and rental agreements. And, you know, now more than ever, we're seeing a lot of cryptocurrency and and your password vault. So everyone has some sort of footprint. And so knowing how short life is, I think it's that much more important that the people we trust are the ones taking care of those things if we can't for any reason. So here we are, parents of adult children. We have kids, let's say 19 to 30, you know, 35. What should we do? Sit down with our adult kids and say, okay, these are five documents you really need to do. This is essential. And let me help you do this. What would those be? What's my conversation? Mm -hmm. Yep. So I typically always recommend, you know, 18 and up is when you can start creating these documents for yourself. So powers of attorney, we've got a financial power of attorney so that someone can manage your financial affairs if something happens to you. We have your medical power of attorney. That's the person, the proxy who can make decisions on your behalf if you're not able to communicate for yourself. There is your advanced directive where you would indicate your preferences for end-of-life care, such as how long you'd want to be on life support, how long you'd want to receive artificial hydration and nutrition, um, additional people who you want to have a HIPAA release to be able to communicate and receive information from your doctors. So those are the big three. Okay, so let's go let's go over those carefully. So you said healthcare power of attorney and regular power of attorney, right? Yep. Advanced directives. Yes. And then you said something else, didn't you? Do they need do they need a will at, at 18? That's that's what I was getting at. So 18 okay. and up, 18 and up, you can create your own will. And kind of the big the big pieces that are included in a will are if you have children, you would include a guardianship designation. You would appoint a personal representative here in Colorado, which is also referred to as an executor in a lot of other states. That's the person who's going to handle all the logistics after somebody passes away. Depending on the type of will you would need, if there are minor children involved, you get start talking about trusts and um, that's your will. So, and, and you would decide who would get your various assets potentially. But for an 18, 19, 20-year-old, mm-hmm. um, it, could it be done much simpler, just a really simple will exactly. that says, you know, something like that? It seems to me the more important things would be, you know, they have bank accounts, they have this and that. You would have no access to any of that if they didn't yes. leave some sort of power attorney, a power of attorney. Is that right? Yeah. Exactly. The big three that I would recommend to 18 year olds, you know, if your kids are graduating high school and going off to college, especially leaving home, you really want to have those powers of attorney and you want the child to have an advanced directive, which is also referred to as a living will. And the healthcare power of attorney. So when you say power of attorney, you mean the general and the healthcare, right? Exactly. Yep. Okay. So those are the big three. Okay. And I think, you know, it's hard for kids to even wrap their heads around that when you sit down and say, we want to do your power of attorney, your advanced directive, and your... Um, your medical and financial power of attorney. Right. And right. your okay. advanced directive. Okay. Okay. So those three things. Okay. Then you talked about to me, and this never came to my mind, digital assets. So now something happens to your child. Maybe they don't die, but they have a bad accident, but you have no act. They have their computer, they have their phone, they have all this, but no one can get into it. Mm-hmm. How do you plan for that? Yeah. And that's only becoming more and more complicated as technology continues to develop so dramatically. And people don't always realize just how extensive 
these types of assets have become, you know, everything from your financial account logins for paying your bills and your loans that you want to make sure you don't fall into default, your cryptocurrency, as I mentioned, domains, digital copyrights, all of your cloud and storage accounts and your email and social media. So there's really a lot to think about here. So I usually recommend that clients compile an inventory of all of the necessary logins and passwords for that. So this is just in case someone needs to access them. You don't need to share. You should not share your passwords with anyone now, necessarily, um, depending on your relationship with your parents and what types of accounts you have. You know, that's a personal choice. But um, yeah, there are people who get very creative out there who comb the internet for accounts belonging to people who are incapacitated or deceased for hacking purposes and for identity theft purposes. So you really want to make sure that the people you trust have a really good handle on what you are dealing with so that they can go into those accounts and, and communicate with the administrators about what's going on to make sure that you know, everything stays. So when you say have an inventory, would you say just get out an Excel spreadsheet? And you know, the other problem is you've got to keep up with this all the time, because I don't know about you, but on a daily basis, I'm either changing a password or logging on to something new where I'm creating a password. And that's really hard to continue Mm -hmm. to update in a timely way. What, What is your advice to clients on how to really do that efficiently and effectively? Yeah, I, you know, some people do use a, an Excel spreadsheet for that. But as you mentioned, that the tricky part with that is, you know, that you're constantly having to update your passwords. I know there's some interesting apps out there that allow you to store your passwords on your phone. So that's another option. They all come with their own different risks. You know, any document on your computer, you want to make sure it's secure and that it's not going to be at risk of, hacking. So it's that's a, a very tricky question. But yeah, it does involve kind of staying on top of those changing passwords, at least the main ones, you know, if you have a couple of the big passwords for your email, and, you know, the accounts that need, can't fall into default, if payments are due, you know, especially those ones, you want to make sure. If they've signed the power of attorney to you, do you have access to their bank accounts? Can you go to the bank and say, you know, Sally's not with us anymore. I'm her power of attorney. I need access. So if you don't have the passwords to the bank or the, you know, that sort of thing, will they provide that access for you if you're the POA? Yeah, so everything really depends on what's in the document itself. So most modern powers of attorney and wills will now include provisions for digital assets. And and so that would be covered. And also you can go into a lot of these accounts and indicate a digital heir or executor of the accounts that you have, you know, with that administrator themselves. So that's a nice way too to ensure that the person you trust can access that account, but they don't necessarily need the password now. Okay. So you mean that if I have a Citibank account somewhere on there, I should be able to indicate a digital heir? Well, on a bank account, it's not typically called a digital heir. Okay. Um, there's different terminology for this across all different types of accounts. So, um, yeah, but some bank accounts, yeah, you should be able to indicate somebody who can access the account, but not necessarily be an account owner, account holder with you. Okay. So you also mentioned to me an ethical or legacy will. 
What does that mean and how does it relate to us or to young adult children? Can I actually go back and make one other point, though, about the digital assets? I just want to clarify that it's also really important to follow the proper channels after somebody is incapacitated or deceased. A lot of people think that you just log into the account and handle it for them, but you need to usually inform the company of what's going on and they'll have their own policies for what happens to have you formally appointed to manage things. So you just really want to be careful that you're not violating any of the company's user agreements or any state or federal law that could potentially lock you out of an account. And then you're going to have to deal with the late payments and account suspension and all that anyway. So a legal disclaimer. Right. So before you even log in, you have to let them know that that person is incapacitated or deceased and you're logging in on their behalf as their digital heir or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. boy, that's hard. I, I know that I've lost parents. I've never done that. Um, <laughs> well, you might have been your mother's power of attorney. So you. Oh, yeah, that's probably, true. That's true. Yeah. So uh, the other piece that I would just add about powers of attorney, it, just to emphasize how important they are, is if you don't have a power of attorney, then you need to go to court and have a guardian or a conservator appointed. So that'll vary depending on the state, the terminology that's used. But here in Colorado, guardian is the person who handles your physical needs, your medical needs, and a conservator is someone who's appointed to handle your finances. And so that court process can be extremely expensive. It requires annual monitoring and annual fees. And it's just an overall intrusion that if it's not truly necessary, you know, a power of attorney can so easily avoid. So it seems to me that anyone listening to this podcast who has adult children who do not have a power of attorney, both general and healthcare and advanced directives should use the time getting together for the holidays to get yes. it done now because people don't think it's important, but let's do it, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I would say a very small percentage of kids 1920 have these documents. I think you are spot on. Right. And okay. So Sarah, before we go on, is there anything else you want to mention about the things we've just talked about? Uh, just to emphasize what you said that, you know, this is such an important thing to have your young adult children take care of and also have those conversations with them about what their preferences are because, you know, they're, they're adults. The law will treat them as an adult, as an 18 year old. So, you know, we should do that as well in our conversations with each other. That absolutely makes sense. So I guess as you're talking, um, I think, well, there's lots of places to go online and just create your POA, just create your advanced directives, whatever they are. But it sounds like if you can, having an attorney draw some of these things up can be very advantageous down the line because you may miss things. Is that right? And I know you're an attorney and you want to <laughs> say you're an attorney wants to do it, but I really want your honest opinion at these young ages. How important is it? Yeah, I do think it's really important because the attorney is the person who can really help you sort through these decisions that you're making within the documents. So families can be complicated and it's not always straightforward. It's rarely straightforward. And so just having somebody who has the experience of seeing how these things play out in court oftentimes and, you know, in those worst case scenarios, it's not 
saying that those worst case scenarios are going to happen. It's just knowing that the advice you're getting is informed and balanced and is going to help you make the best decision for your specific needs and family circumstances. Okay, so now I'm going to ask a question that you can or can't, cannot answer, but I sort of have to ask this. So let's say I have an adult child. He's 19 years old. I want to go to an attorney to get those three documents prepared. What's a ballpark figure that that would cost me? Very straightforward, nothing overly complicated. You know, that varies so much across the board. I, as a homeowner, here's my analogy. Anytime I hire a contractor to do anything, it feels like the range of quotes that I get back is, you know, it ranges thousands of dollars. So it's just so hard for me to say what attorneys charge across the board, what they charge in other states, um, rural versus urban attorneys, large firms versus small firms. There's just so much variation with that. So um, I would say that, you know, to get those big three, those powers of attorney in the advanced directive, you should be able to have an attorney do that for you for under a thousand dollars. That would be okay. my advice, practically speaking. Okay, so that's sort of what I wondered. You know, is it ten thousand? Is it five thousand? Is it two thousand? You know, that's kind of what right. I wanted. So right. Well, good. some people prefer to hire the big firms that are right. downtown, and you know what you're buying with that is you know probably a similar quality product maybe even less so because they don't necessarily specialize in a certain area the way somebody like myself does with estate planning. Um, right. And you're going to spend a lot more for it. So right, right. No, that makes perfect sense. Okay. Let's go on to what I was going to mention before. You mentioned an ethical or legacy will. I've never heard of this. What does it mean and how does it relate to our adult children? So this is another great example of an estate planning tool that really anyone can utilize across all ages and demographics, and it's free. So that's a nice piece. Um, so legal estate planning documents are intended to be flexible and to accommodate you and your family over time, but ultimately they are meant to establish really clear rules that must be legally complied with. So they can be really cold and fact-based at the end of the day. Whereas an ethical or a legacy will is a letter or some sort of audio or visual piece that can be a really beautiful complement to the will. It's not instead of the will, but it's, you know, in your words, something to your loved ones recounting more personal wisdom or stories or aspirations. And it can be particularly effective if your beliefs and values differ from many of your loved ones, or if there's any concern that loved ones won't get along after your death, you can write down those thoughts there. And ultimately, this really just preserves who you are and what matters to you. And I'm I'm a former history major. So something about that just really speaks to me. Um, and I, I really love this idea because, you know, we all have people and causes we care about and things that we hope will outlive ourselves. And this is just a great opportunity opportunity to express that along with how those values and our loved ones may have informed our other legacy planning choices. So, and not only that, but starting with a legacy will, once you've put your documents, your legal documents in place, putting together this legacy will can actually make those hard conversations with your loved ones that much easier 
while you're alive and healthy. So there's a lot of really great benefits. That sounds wonderful. And I I love that idea. I've always thought of putting a letter, writing a letter at some point that I would leave behind. And that's very similar to that. I I really like that. Okay. I want to go back a tiny bit now, because as you were speaking, I was thinking about what we were talking about. So let's say my 19-year-old, I don't have a 19-year-old, so I'm just making this up. Okay. But my 19-year-old son needs these three documents. If he or she doesn't live in Colorado, do I have to find a lawyer in that state that he or she is in? Or can a Colorado lawyer do something for a child in California or Connecticut? So it depends on the living situation, I would say, of your child. If they're just off to college in another state, I'd probably recommend just working with a local attorney here in Colorado because you don't know where they're going to end up ultimately. And any documents that you create in one state are legally valid in another state. But there are there's a lot of varying laws across states and so it is important to to really have these documents be current and local so if the child has moved permit more permanently then it might be worth exploring hiring an attorney in another state to do that for them okay now let's talk about storage of these documents so now you've gotten you've helped your kids create these documents um, most people don't have safety deposit boxes anymore other than my husband and I everyone laughs at me <laughs> that I have a safety deposit box and I know I think you have to have the original of these documents is that right you can't store them in the cloud can you so I always provide my clients with digital copies and oftentimes the digital copy will be enough Okay. But with the will, especially, you want to make sure you know where the original is, at least here in Colorado. Having that original will is going to make the process after death just a lot more streamlined and simplified. So that's important. And just depending on the hospital or the financial account administrator, they may want to see the original for a power of attorney. A lot of the ones that I've spoken to are fine with copies, though. So it's really just going to to depend. Um, But that just speaks to the importance of, of having those originals in a safe place, whether it's a safety deposit box or at home in a safe. I always say the best type is a fireproof safe. Right, and right. they're not too expensive these days. So it's a, a good place to store things there. And I guess, um, I guess I think about the young adult and I think of my kids. I do have a 33-year-old and almost 30-year-old. They have been in the same place for at least five or six years, but you know, they move around and such and I don't know that I would feel comfortable with them having the original, yet I'd feel bad saying you shouldn't have the original. But I I can say, so where's the original? I don't know. I moved last week to a new apartment, you know, kind of thing. (laughs) Um, If that happens and if they can't find it, can the attorney provide another original or is there one original and that's it? There's usually just the one original. Sometimes we'll execute duplicate originals of the powers of attorney, but most attorneys these days are moving towards not storing any originals themselves. And they, we provide them back to the client to, to keep hold of. Um, but I totally know what you're talking about. I have called my mother myself asking where my you know various personal docu- documents right. are. Some of which she still was holding on to for me, to my credit. So um, I completely understand that. Um, And ultimately, because these are your children's documents, it will be up to them to 
store them responsibly or decide that they would rather have you hold on to them for them. Perhaps. Exactly. It's a tough call on that because it really, I mean, it took me to this age to start really thinking. I mean, I've had a will and all of that, but I remember the same as you, Sarah, calling my mother, where's my birth certificate, <laughs> you know, yep. and having, but a birth certificate, I was able to go somewhere and get it again and that sort of thing. So it's not quite as uh, dangerous. Everyone's talking about trust these days. Do young people need trust? And what are they? And what are the different kinds? And what should we look at? Yeah. So trusts are basically an entity that can own property and dispose or disperse of property. However, you know, the trust terms that govern that that entity um, indicate. So um, there are some sort of governing terminology. Typically, that's found in a will or what's called a trust agreement. So a separate standalone document, potentially. And then there's a whole legal framework about around the duties of those who are managing the trust. And we refer to them as the trustee. There are many different scenarios that might warrant having a trust, one of which that I think is really applicable to the demographics we're talking about is if you have minor children yourself or children who have disabilities or special needs, um, even children who aren't minors yet, who are into their young adult years. A lot of parents decide to keep the um, their inheritance uh, protected in a trust for them. So some of the benefits for for those cases are just protection from creditors of those children or from future divorcing spouses of those children. Um, They can just be a nice way to really insulate that future inheritance from the growing that young adults are going through to develop into our financial responsibility. So, uh, and additionally, this has to do with the fact that minor children in particular can't legally inherit money outright. So um, you'd have to go to court and have a conservator appointed, as we talked about before. That is uh, essential. I require a trust for anyone with minor children. So there's different kinds of trusts, as I mentioned. They vary in complexity and different types of rationale. Some of them you will put into place during your lifetime, and they're intended to be sort of an alter ego for yourself. That's referred to as a revocable trust or a living trust, whereas others are not actually created until they may be needed. So usually, you know, maybe for our children after the parents are deceased. So that's called a testamentary trust. That latter type of trust, the terms are just included in your will. So that can be a a nicer kind of middle ground trust that doesn't require as much management during your lifetime, but you still have all the benefits of the protection for your kids after you're gone. Go ahead. I was just going to add that the reasons are just varied and unique, really, to you and your family, and it will depend on state law where you live. So it's just important to discuss all those different moving pieces with your trusted attorney. (laughs) (laughs) With your trusted attorney. So I guess from this episode's point of view, our young adults don't really need trust at this point. We may provide something for them, but they don't need to create any sort of trust, right? Typically, that's not the case. Yeah. You might want to create them for the child, but not necessarily. Right. But they don't need to think about that sort of stuff now, unless they have a child and want to put something, they want to do something. Um, Okay. So now your young adult child is married. If they don't have these documents, the the two POAs and and the advanced directives, 
does the spouse automatically become the POA and the advanced directive or healthcare decision maker? Or even if they're married, are these documents really important too? Yes and no. The short answer is that a married couple will typically have priority for one another. So this is also a really good opportunity for me to emphasize again that state law is varied and I'm only licensed to practice here in Colorado. So almost all of the issues we've discussed today are truly universal. But like I said, there are just a lot of nuances that are specific to local law. And so nothing that I've said is, you know, should be construed as legal advice for specific individuals. But um, if you don't have estate planning documents in place, there, there is default law that will govern that priority for appointment for these various roles and who has the legal authority to act on your behalf if you're incapacitated um, or deceased. So without those documents, and if you're not able to express your wishes yourself, there would just be the risk is that there's a lot of guesswork at that point to determine what you would have wanted. And in addition, without those powers of attorney, you have to go to court to have someone appointed to manage things on your behalf and then you risk delay. Okay. I thought maybe that happened automatically. Your spouse just immediately. Yeah. You know, most hospitals, they're going to probably defer to the spouse and it wouldn't be necessary. But yeah, there are formalities that would have to be followed. Got it. All right. Let's talk about beneficiaries. So I read somewhere that many young adults have life insurance or other policies through their work. Um, if they have children, their children might be listed, their wives, I guess, first or husbands first, and then their children as beneficiaries. Both parents die or if you're divorced and your child is your beneficiary and they're a minor when you die, they can't inherit. How does that work? Do they have to have a custodian on the account or how does that work? So this speaks to that importance that we were just talking about of creating a trust for minor children. And then you can list the trust as the beneficiary on behalf of the child. So it's good to have that then, particularly in your life insurance or any policies that have beneficiaries. Exactly. Yeah. And part of the estate planning process is going through all those different assets and talking about updating the beneficiary designations, because I can't tell you how many people first have their children outright listed on those accounts as the beneficiary. So we're usually having to make those updates to make sure they don't inherit assets outright. I guess with young adults, they probably have to update these documents quite frequently. And each time, does an attorney have to update these? So that's a tricky question. Um, Sometimes, you know, the hospital will have their own medical power of attorney that you can use if you're going in for a specific procedure. Um, You have to be careful because that can totally replace the previous one that you may have done with a return with an attorney. I do recommend touching base with an attorney, depending on how extensive the updates are. You just want to run through, you know, any other sort of repercussions that could happen as a result of the change you're making. And you really want to make sure that you don't like handwrite on the documents and cross things out and make alterations because that gets really risky. Oh dear. We forget that the law comes into our lives a little too much, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, this, this has been terrific. And I didn't want this to be a really long episode. I wanted it to be quick and to the point. And I feel like we really did that. As you said, done a really good job of covering this in such a succinct way. I think, you know, we've given some really good action items to get the documents in place and also have those conversations with one another. At the end of every episode, I ask my guests, give us two or three things that from this episode, they want to make sure our listeners take away. Can you add those two or three things, Sarah? 
Sure. Let's do one is that everyone has some sort of financial and digital footprint, some compilation of assets and um, liabilities and that kind of thing. So you're saying everyone, whatever their age, everyone has this, right? Yeah, that's what I would venture to say. I Yeah, I, me too. But I, I want to be clear because a lot of people forget we're talking about 18-year-olds. We're talking about 19-year-olds. Your kids have a financial and digital footprint, period. Absolutely. So two, legacies are for everyone. That That's something that we can all think about what we're leaving behind. And that's not necessarily a monetary thing. And then three, those conversations. I I can't emphasize that piece enough that having the conversations with your loved ones while you're alive and healthy is just so important. I've seen families really fall apart after a loss in the family in particular, and it's heartbreaking. It's, It's truly devastating knowing that, you know, a lot of that could have been avoided by having the open conversations while everyone was alive and healthy. Well, I think this was really great. I think you've inspired all of us to sit down when we're together with our families and have these conversations and very simply ask everyone to be prepared and get these documents in order. Exactly. We have it ready. We can't just think about them. We go on and live our lives and know that we've prepared for the future. Yes, 100%. So thank you, Sarah. You've been a joy to talk to. You put things so clearly and made everything so understandable. So thank you so much. Of course, it was a pleasure to be here. Well, there you have it. That was a quick and dirty look at the key legal documents we should encourage our young adult kids to have and do now. Don't put it off. Sarah says that by the age of 18, the top three documents she talked about should be done and put in a safe place. And remember the digital world too. Make sure you and your adult children have a digital inventory. Okay, that's it, I promise, on money and estate planning for a bit. Okay, we're heading into the end of season one of Bite Your Tongue, the podcast. Can you believe it? This was episode 17. The two final episodes this season include an interview with the author of the book, When Our Grown Kids Disappoint Us, Letting Go of Their Problems, Loving Them Anyway, and Getting On With Our Lives. And then, for our season finale, we have a big surprise for the last episode. Stay tuned. It drops on December 24th. Thanks for listening. Follow us on social media. And please send us your ideas for topics. Share this episode with a friend. Or at least sit down and listen to it with your adult children. In the meantime, remember, sometimes you just have to bite your tongue.